Welcome back, listeners, to Mosaic's Community Life Podcast, Episode 11. My name is Jane Teasdale, one of the co-owners of Mosaic Home Care and Community Resource Center. I would like to introduce my guest today, Kasim Sen, financial planner from Desjardins Financial Security and MDRT Life member. Welcome, Kasim. It's a pleasure to have you today on, on our podcast. Thank you, Jane. It's wonderful to be here with you to speak on such an important subject. And there's we've got a lot of content uh, to cover today. But first, before we started, I just want to review some of Kasim's bio and some of the work that she's done uh, before we bring her on to discuss the financials. Uh, Kasim Sen is a financial planner with Desjardins uh, Financial Security Independent Network and a seasoned insurance investment professional committed to expanding her knowledge base. She obtained her Chartered Life Underwriter designation and the Responsible Investment Specialist certification to address her clients' growing interests in ESG investing. For close to three decades, she has been assisting individuals, families, and small business owners in achieving their financial goals. However, her passion is ensuring that all her clients consider their future care needs. This reinforces her commitment to them, creating a lasting bond over a career of service. Kasim volunteers with the Financial Advisors Association of Canada, ADVOCIS, and is a former member of the Toronto Chapter Board. She is also passionate about charitable work for Parkinson's disease and cancer research and really giving back to the community. She is a proud financial literacy volunteer with JA Canada for the Dollars and Cents program, teaching grades 3 to 12 students about workplace readiness and entrepreneurship. She is a mentor and contributes to podcasts and seminar, seminars on independent living, aging and long-term care. Kasim's educational interests cover the entire spectrum of all ages and life stages, from people who are preparing for retirement to people who are just starting to learn about money, why we need it, and how we spend it. Outside her work, her interests are hobbies, include reading, traveling, music, and her favorite sports, tennis and swimming. She cherishes time spent with family and friends and never misses a birthday. She enjoys relaxing with friends from a professionally diverse community, connections and business, de-stress between work and home. As a member of Toronto's many chambers of commerce, she invests time in networking with people of wide-ranging interests in business and lifestyles. Never a dull moment in her life. Kasim is a foodie, enjoys cooking, and loves all cuisines. She particularly enjoys Italian cooking and wine presentations of the Italian Chamber of Commerce of Ontario from the charming Italian landscape. Her idea of fun is good food, great wine, and wonderful company. Her motto, live life to the lees and enjoy every moment. So before we begin on this podcast, um, we will be discussing how Financial Planner works with older clients and their family caregivers to incorporate long-term care considerations, know your client information, and understand their wants and needs. And what if the individual wants to travel or needs home care support at home? What do you do? What are your ideas? Where do you want to live? Or if they want to travel and live part-time in two different countries, which a lot of you know, older people like to do, or move into a retirement home. 
So welcome, Kasim, again, and it's a pleasure to have you. The first question I'm going to ask you is, um, I would like to start off with how one would choose a financial planner and what credentials would be needed to provide the proper oversight for clients? Well, Jane, often frequently asked questions of how to choose the right financial planner are, do I really need a financial planner? Do they push financial products? How do they get to know their clients? And how often should I see my financial planner? How do you pick the right financial planner to map out your financial future? It is best to know the areas that you need help with in your finances before speaking with a financial planner. Describe your specific money management needs at the first meeting. Learn about how financial planners are compensated and if they are looking out for your best interests. Choose the services you want from investment advice to debt management to ensure the financial planner provides the services you require in both your financial and non-financial lives. Decide what you can afford. Financial planners provide a range of pricing options, making their services more affordable to customers of different financial means. Now, not only the wealthy can benefit, but almost everyone can have a financial planner. So deciding on a financial planner is one of the most important steps in determining the outcome of a relationship. On the journey of financial planning, A competent financial planner should be equipped with credentials that helps value, that helps create value and offer professional advice in a holistic manner. There are no shortcuts, Jane. There are many factors which need to be considered for best advice, which a chartered life underwriter, a CLU like myself, or a chartered financial planner can bring to help the client take informed decisions. Thank you for that explanation, uh, Kasim. And my next question... Number two, how does a financial planner work in the best interests of the clients and provide the oversight in health care on their portfolios? So, again, I guess within the financial industry, uh, also within the healthcare industry, is that we're really having to provide that oversight um, and checks and balances on our clients. So um, can you explain a little bit about that in the financial sector? Sure, Jane. Working with a client is an individual experience. Every client has a different scope which the financial planner needs to identify. No one solution fits all. To make assumptions on what the client needs results in inaccurate discovery and not the desired outcome. A client's needs versus wants must be assessed, including healthcare oversight in the client's best interests. A needs analysis is the first discovery step. This entails an open and honest conversation on the client's current situation and future needs and family history, which is very important. Trust in the financial planner's ability to properly evaluate is a two-way street between the client and the financial planner. If this is not possible, the financial plan will not be in the client's best interests. So my next question is dealing with the holistic planning and oversight provided on a client portfolio. So um, within Mosaic, we focus on a person-centered care approach, which is finding out everything about the client uh, from their interests and hobbies and likes and dislikes uh, to their medical care to um, 
you know, are, are do they want home care? Do they want retirement home? So I would think that a financial planner, this is where that holistic planning comes into place, um, where a financial planner would have to find out about all this information. So could you explain this to our listeners a little bit more in depth? Holistic planning is when a financial planner considers the client's assets, liabilities, time horizon, lifestyle, and legacy goals. Holistic planning goes far beyond traditional financial planning. Providing an oversight on the client's portfolio requires a detailed review of the client's present planning on how best to reach future goals and aspirations within the client's budget. A holistic portfolio consists of insurance and investments. It is a broader process, a deeper process, that includes in-depth conversations and ongoing analysis. First, the financial planner needs to have all the information from the client to determine how satisfied the client is with the current planning before any changes are suggested. If the client's needs, focus, and goals have changed, the financial planner must prepare an individualized assessment for the client showing how the planning can be improved to support new objectives. To successfully offer professional advice, the client and financial planner must be clear on the client's goals, risk tolerance, and budget. Does the client have any other managed portfolios outside the one under discussion? The what, why, and when the client wants to achieve these objectives is critical. Oversight in the portfolio is an ongoing service a financial planner must provide. It's not a one-and-done exercise. Future considerations are important to address any changes over the years or in the client's perspective. The client's best interests come first with the choice of sound recommendations made by the financial planner. Thank you, Kasim. Um, and for our listeners today, um, what, what type of services should a financial planner offer clients just to educate the people online? Financial planner services are, are very wide-ranging, uh, Jane. They go from efficient uh, tax planning, legacy or charitable planning, retirement planning, portfolio management, cash flow analysis, and debt management. So you can see what a huge area they cover. They advise on investment accounts, pension plans, disability, critical illness, long-term care, and financial planning. So a financial planner may find gaps or make changes to a plan based on new goals. If the client does not have a financial plan, it can be built from scratch. A comprehensive financial plan includes wealth management, retirement planning, risk management, and creating an estate plan. And our next question, we're up to question five. Um, and is an independent financial planner or a company's services more suitable for a client, I mean, there's different types of, you know, financial planners that, you know, you have fee-based and then running through an organization. So I think you're going to capture a lot of these different types of financial advisors within this section. So I'll let you carry on, Kasim. That's right, Jane. There's um, a, a wide uh, scope on uh, the nature of financial planners. Um, the choice between employing the services of a company or an independent financial planner is very personal and depends on budget and the depth of services that a client needs. Most professional companies run diagnostics on the client's investment portfolio. 
to see if the client is taking appropriate risks and using the right account types. The team assesses client aspirations and maps out how they can be achieved. Implementation and revisions are monitored during the ongoing management. The best companies are transparent about their fees and have long-term satisfied clients. They should be affordable with the options with independent advice, free from conflicts of interest. Companies can charge $5,000 on a project or a monthly retainer for a comprehensive financial plan with a follow-through. Hourly consultations could be $250 to $500. This is suitable for someone who already has an existing financial plan. On the other side, we have independent financial planners who can offer personalized advice to align with what is most important to the client. Adapt to life transitions and timely reviews to ensure the plan is always on track. Financial planners who adopt a holistic approach analyze risks along with lifestyle goals to create a tailored financial plan for each unique situation. Financial planners can be commission or fee-based, as you just mentioned. A common criticism of commission-based advisors is they may have a conflict of interest, which leads them to recommend financial products that may not always be in the best interest of a client. Some charge a flat fee and provide their clients with a list of services and fees per service. Flat fees vary on the level of service required. For consultation and general oversight, they may charge between $1,000 to $2,000. A greater level of service will warrant higher fixed fees or a blend of the fee types. Fee-for-service financial planners charge a percentage of the client's assets under management. It could be 1% to 2%. And this rate is much lower for what is known as robo-advisors who provide general services and limited advice. Thank you for that update on, you know, the differences between the fee-based advisors as well. I mean, there are, you know, I guess different advisors with different expertise as well, uh, depending on, you know, the, the courses or certified financial planners. You have certified financial advisors. So, again, it's I think it's knowing the company and the advisor that's right for you, providing you the expertise that you need. Uh, You're right. Yeah. And um, so we have the next section is about know your client or the KYC document that financial planners or advisors would need from the client. So just going back to home care or dealing within the healthcare sector, you know, we do are taking in inquiries. So that's when we're sort of doing a discovery is finding out about the client that you're dealing with. Um, you know, finding out about everything so that you can help them and advise them and provide them with resources if they're needing that. So maybe you can explain a little bit about the KYC document. Thanks, Kasim. Absolutely, Jane. The KYC is probably the most important document a financial planner and client share. It's the first step in a series of information gathering, just like you do to identify the client's needs. Know your client or needs analysis is a process of procuring in-depth knowledge on a client's objectives, current and future aspirations and goals. The questions a financial planner needs to ask must be probing or any gaps in the information provided stymies the financial plan. 
If the information is not forthcoming or incorrect, the client-planner relationship does not get off to a good start. All information regarding the client's estate and personal details received by the financial planner is in total confidence and must be protected. This has to be a trusted relationship for both parties to honor and implement, to build client trust and deepen relationships in all respects with the clients. So before starting on this journey, a letter of engagement is advisable for both parties to understand the process of sharing information and planning. And how, you know, Kasim, and then how does the Know Your Client document um, help with the financial planning component? Well, the KYC or the Know Your Client is the responsibility of the financial planner to ensure that the client's interests come first. To fully understand what is important to the client before making any recommendations. Every planner has an individual style, as you understand, but most importantly, to give space to the client, to feel comfortable to talk and to listen to the client. As professional counsellors, our responsibility is to ensure we meet the multiple areas of accuracy and security before making recommendations, such as risk, structure, liquidity, important to the client and monitor changes in the life of the client, financial or marital. And can you explain how the Know Your Product, the KYP, I'm getting used to these acronyms now, uh, mandate helps in the financial planning process? Um, yes, Jane, the KYP is um, a, a fairly new um, part of the business that has been mandated. It always did exist. Financial planners must know their products, and that's simply what it means, know your product. But the financial planner should be knowledgeable to meet the client's expectations through the Know Your Product, KYP, and to explain the product to the client in simple language. Often we have people talking jargon which the client does not understand, and that does not help. So the client should understand the financial planner, and to gain client confidence and help to build the trust, this is invaluable to a long-term relationship. It improves finance, the financial literacy and assists the client to participate in their own financial planning and to understand what they are doing. These changes are now a defined and documented process. The information collected is pretty much the same as before. The difference being now it is a process that the advisor does not deviate from. Deeper conversations get better results. So a client may want something, but it may not be the best for that specific time for the client's financial planning. Whilst financial planners must work within the client's needs and concerns, the reason a client employs our services is because of our knowledge and understanding for the client's best planning. The suitability determination individually by the KYC, which is the Know Your Client, and KYP, which is the Know Your Product, is most important when planners make appropriate recommendations to a client and as a best practice if there are any life changes the suitability may also change and more information may be required by assessing a client's risk profile the advisor can recommend the level of risk that a client should have in the portfolio yes thank you for that i you know i guess you know, myself, we deal with a lot of older persons within Toronto, Ontario, and I think the more information that um, 
between the two parties and making sure that the advisors communicate and in an easy language that individuals understand what is happening, you know, within their health care or investments. So, you know, I think talking at the level of the person that you're dealing with so they have a true understanding. Uh, in Canada, we have many um, regulatory changes. Um, and what are the other regulatory changes for a client's protection uh, in Canada? Um, Jane, there are a whole host of uh, regulatory organizations and changes have been made and uh, implemented uh, for the investment and insurance industry. So uh, the many regulatory changes that have been introduced for the benefit of the financial services industry and the client plan of relationship start with organizations like the Canadian Insurance Services Regulatory Organization, known as CICERO. And that is a forum of Canadian regulatory authorities who are dedicated to consistent qualification and conduct of business standards for insurance intermediaries. For the fair treatment of customers, our CICERO has agreed to collaborate with the Canadian Council of Insurance Regulators, CCIR, on projects that involve both insurers and intermediaries. So the CCIR, which is the Canadian Council of Insurance Regulators, is an interjurisdictional association of, of insurance regulators. The mandate of the CCIR is to facilitate and promote an efficient and effective insurance regulatory system in Canada to serve the public interest and develop solutions to common regulatory issues. The conduct of insurance business and fair treatment of customers guidance was adopted jointly by CCIR and CISRO on September 27, 2018, to supervise the conduct of insurers and other entities. The Canadian Council of Insurance Regulators recommends understanding of the product, as we talked about the KYP, to be explained in depth to the client, given the financial knowledge, risk profile and ability of the client to hold the product. It's not just a question of buying it. The client must be able to live with the product and benefit by it. The CCIR mandates regulations in the insurance industry as the Canadian client-focused reforms, the CFRS, prescribes for the investment industry. It is not as prescriptive, but equally important. The process is the same. Conversations with an investment client prior to offering recommendations that meet the client's needs to avoid any possible future legal issues. The needs analysis is the same, lots of questions regarding current insurance and investments. The regulations from the security side have brought over to the insurance and have well served clients. So the client focused reforms we talked about, which is the CFRS, was, is an updated document which helps client relationships for investments. When buying insurance, the insurance regulators, which is the CCIR rules govern. So we have the investments and the insurance with different regulators governing them. However, all business insurance and investments should be compliant. And lastly, the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario, FISRA, which is an independent regulatory agency created to improve consumer and pension plan beneficiary protections in Ontario for Canadians, regulates under the Insurance Act of Ontario. The fair treatment of customers. 
As a member of both the CCIR and CICERO, FISRA, through its predecessor FISCO, played an active role in the work. FISRA plans to continue conducting regulatory reviews in collaboration with other CCIR members. So you see how they're all connected and working together to regulate the financial services industry, which covers insurance and investments for the better health of Canadians. Part of responsibility goes to the insurer as the developer of the product and distribution channel, and part of the responsibility to the advisor recommending the product. The financial planner or advisor has the responsibility of not only providing product information, but providing personal recommendations based on the disclosed needs of the client. The Canadian Securities Administrators, the CSA, first published the Canadian client-focused reforms that we just talked about in October 2019 with significant amendments. These have been implemented by the investment and insurance industry. In addition to including client-first requirements in the client-focused reforms, Canadian securities regulators wanted to strengthen protection of older and vulnerable clients. This is extremely important, as we know. Higher industry standards and guidance have been stipulated with new rules introduced in July 2021 that require advisors to take reasonable steps to have a client name a trusted contact person, a TCP, as part of the Know Your Client under the client-focused reforms. So this is like a complete wrap on the client-focused reforms, the uh, KYC and the KYP. They also introduced new provisions for the use of temporary homes. These rules took effect on January 1, 2022. Now, the regulators believe that as an advisor, you are in a unique position to notice red flags with clients because you know them. Their objective is for the new trusted contact person rules to provide more robust investor protection whilst respecting client autonomy and responding to the needs and priorities of older and vulnerable clients and investors. One out of 12 Canadians aged 55, 30% have experienced fraud, mainly financial. There is a clear case here for a need for protecting this group. So I just want to do a recap on that section, uh, Kasim, on the trusted a contact person. So are okay. you saying that, you know, an individual who, um, I guess, is working with financial advisor, they wouldn't need to appoint somebody as a trusted contact person, and also have somebody who is the power of attorney? Is that right? Yes. And sort of they're working collaboratively together for, for that person. That's correct, because a power of attorney would actually action the uh, decisions that have been mandated by the clients. Okay. Because, I mean, I you know, in the healthcare, um, you know, within our organization, we are talking to the person only on the person's interests and, and sort of what needs to be done to help that client. We only deal with the, the POA, the power of attorney who is supposed to be working um, and helping that person and understanding that person and their needs as wants as complexities happen within the medical care. So that's why I just wanted to find out a little bit more about the TCP. Right. And as you have noted, the TCP, the trusted contact person, is 
a fairly new yes, mandate. Yes, because I haven't heard that before. So, um, the regulations have uh, recognised as a need uh, between the personal needs of the investor, an elderly investor, and the decisions that are taken, which the power of attorney would action. Okay, fair enough. Um, and just, I know you were heading into, uh, I guess, the discussion on how can a trusted contact person help to reduce elder financial abuse. And I just want to talk on this a little bit because, you know, we are involved with that. I sit on the North York Elder Abuse uh, Network, NIAN, which is part of the Elder Abuse Prevention Ontario, which are actually, uh, and many of the networks within Ontario really working hard to provide education and resources, especially for older adults, um, because as we know, frauds, scams, financial abuse are on the rise. And in many cases, they're not reported. There's no reporting mechanism. Um, you know, banks are starting to flag, uh, financial advisors may be starting to flag now, but we're needing actually everybody involved in this. Um, because it is an important in issue. Um, elder abuse, I just wanted to uh, define it under the World Health Organization. It's uh, actually a single or repeated act or lack of appropriate action occurring within any relationship where there is an expectation of trust, which causes harm or distress to an older person. And there are a number of community networks, as I mentioned, around Ontario, uh, providing support, resources, education to older persons in our community. Elder Abuse Prevention Ontario is a wonderful resource of information on this topic. Amazing webinars for professionals, financial advisors to connect. Um, and you can find that out. Uh, there is a website, www.eapon.ca. Um, and over COVID pandemic, pandemic through the senior safety line, um, you can call either day or evening, uh, which is 1-866-299-1011. And actually, some of the stats came out from during COVID, that there was a 250%, I can't believe it, 250% increase in the number of calls on the seniors' safety line. So really, uh, Ontario, I mean, there are some aspects of Canada that are really working on that, but really, we don't have the infrastructure in place. And that's something that we need, we definitely need to work through. Um. So on that note, Kasim, can you discuss ways that financial planners might flag possible financial abuse? So, Jane, financial abuse is the most common form of elder abuse, as we know. Uh, and you have uh, statistics that show the concerns that elders had at the time of the pandemic, uh, which was uh, possibly also because they did not have their family close to them or were not able to be uh, close to people they could talk to. Um, it typically occurs over an extended period and can include the use or control of the individual's money or investments through undue pressure or illegal or unauthorized acts. To help reduce financial abuse of vulnerable investors, the Canadian Securities Administrators mandated that you must take reasonable steps to obtain the name and contact information 
of the trusted contact person from individual clients. So you see how and why the TCP has become an important step in the relationship with an elder client or a vulnerable client. This is voluntary, of course, for the client, but it should be encouraged by the advisor. When a KYC, a know your client, is being updated for an existing client, this should be included. Now ask about naming a trusted contact person and request a written consent from the client to contact the TCP in specified circumstances. It's not all the time that we have to talk to the TCP or the trusted contact person, as you can see. For example, if there is a concern of possible financial exploitation or the client's mental capacity to make financial decisions. It's very important in these circumstances to have a trusted contact person. Now, because this is intended as another element of the KYC, advisors are expected to keep the trusted contact person's information current as part of the KYC update process. Currently, there is no prescribed form for obtaining this information, but a process includes steps to capture a client's written consent. It would also be helpful to know the relationship between the client and the trusted contact person for the TCP to feel more comfortable speaking to the planner or advisor about any concerns or red flags. Right. Understand that. Um, I know I know we had talked a lot uh, previously on the TCP, which is a trusted contact person uh, that a client can have. You know, how many people would they need to do that? Um, this is quite important because those taking on these responsible roles, such as the TCP, the financial pow uh, power of attorney, must really know the client, their interests, their needs, uh, wants, the type of care, because even if they become, you know, medically sick, uh, <laughs> They're going to need to know this if that person needs to go into retirement home or should they stay at home with home care. So really that needs to be laid out and spoken about as well. Um, and also, I, you know, I do think it's important that if there is an issue um, with a client that, you know, a financial advisor, maybe the accountant, if there's, uh, you know, uh, an organization or a healthcare organization, the lawyer, uh, that people would have sort of like an integrated care approach in, in you know, helping that client as well. Um, but I think if you could answer those questions about how many trusted contact persons would really that person need? Well, a client may have more than one trusted contact person, but should be encouraged to select an individual or individuals who have no financial interests and won't stand to gain financially. A family member or caregiver who would have no access to the finances of the client. If an advisor reasonably believes a vulnerable client is being exploited or has concerns about a client's mental capacity, to make final decisions, the new rules create a regulatory framework for the advisor or the firm to place a temporary hold on transactions, withdrawals, or transfers in the client's account. Now, this is a very good move that the regulators have made. A trusted contact person is not the same as a power of attorney and has no authority to make transactions 
on the account and should not be involved in making decisions for the client. The TCP is intended only to be a bridge, a resource, to assist in protecting the client's financial interests or assets in certain circumstances. So the KYC, which is the Know Your Client, is a snapshot of the client's lifestyle, priorities, beliefs, and values. Existing insurance and investments, income, will, trusted contact person, power of attorney, and executor. So they're all part of the KYC and should form a team for the financial planner to work with in terms of circumstances where it's required. This minimizes the omission of any information the financial planner needs in planning and creating the best solution. So as you can see, this is a wonderful step going forward. And this includes information for the purpose of mitigating taxes while alive and after death and understanding the client's wishes in the living will and the last will and testament. Now, family dynamics are very important when it comes to insurance or investments. Wealth planning or insurance require a good knowledge for the financial planner of family dynamics. And this is purely for purposes of financial security, risk mitigation, the beneficiaries, charitable giving, and estate equalization, which is for the benefit of the family. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. We have another big topic to discuss, which is, you know, as individuals' needs change, uh, deciding on whether to live at home, uh, move to a condo, uh, move into retirement home or long-term care. What if your home needs to be updated? Um, renovations, ramps, bars, uh, that is all additional costing that the family has to think about. Home care is expensive uh, using uh, an organization, but you know families do need to use organizations to provide additional care. A lot of the uh, home care agencies are providing care in retirement home and long-term care because sometimes the care isn't always there on the one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, home care and long-term care will provide personal care, but additional services such as going out in the community, one-on-one -on -one conversation, you're having to hire. Rates can be probably, you know, uh, $35 and up. Uh, for home care, some organizations provide overnight, uh, you know, some organizations provide live-in or 24-hour care. What I usually say to families is buyer beware. It's the same as when you're looking at financial advisors or planners, you know, you need to really do your research the same as you need to do for home care or organizations. Um, I, you know, we do have government care and assistance, and that would be under the Home and Community Support Services in Ontario through the government. Uh, they are the gatekeepers for day programs, long-term care homes, supportive housing, and some personal care supports at home and in the community. Um, Ontario and Canada is going through a rapid aging of Canada's population, which has resulted in growing concerns about the availability and costs of future services for the senior population. Uh, will publicly funded programs be adequate to meet those increasing needs? Not at this point, <laughs> because, you know, families, we just don't have the PSWs out there to help Um you know, or the infrastructure in place, or that one-on-one -on -one person-centered care that people are needing for their families. 
um, will there be sufficient workers to provide those services? You know, that is a huge problem, not only here in Canada, but that's happening in the UK and around the world. Uh, with declining community and family supports, will a growing number of seniors be left to fend for themselves? Yes, we do have some uh, individuals that don't have any family members to help, that don't have that community support of friends. A lot of people are being isolated in their homes. So how are they to get the resources and information that they need? The federal government funding to the provinces from the 2021 billion fall economic summit, the Safe Long-Term Care Fund, SLTCF, uh, long-term care is funded through Canada Health Transfer from the federal government between provinces and territories uh, who then allocate funding to homes, home and community health care services. For decades, the country's long-term care system has been notorious for its poor care. Primary care is through a trained specialist such as a doctor, a nurse, and personal support worker, PSW. And there are a variety of services that can be provided over an extended period of time in the elder's home or within the community. There are other services and community uh, services that are helpful to keep people at home in their community. Um, again, there's, you know, the cost range again for home care um, for a retirement home <laughs> is very expensive. We do have families that are using retirement. They're paying about six, sometimes eight, sometimes $10,000, depending on the level of care. And then some of the families are having to bring in private care in order for them to stay in the retirement home. So is that, how is somebody supposed to afford that? That That is huge costs per month. Um, and, uh, you know, we want, we want to keep individuals connected. So really families are having to do that research and you know, speaking with financial advisors and financial planners to work out what they can afford, you know, as complexities and medical issues arise. Um, so what oversights do you provide to your clients and how often do you connect with your older clients to find out about their needs, their medical needs, and advise them on expenses of home and institutional care? Thank you, Kasim. Um, Jane, signing up a client uh, is not a one-and-done deal. It is um, only the start of a professional relationship. At the very outset, a letter of engagement is recommended for the financial planner to establish the guidelines of the working relationship for the best outcome. How often a financial planner needs to review a client's portfolio rests entirely on the decision and agreement between the two parties in the best interest of the client. Portfolio reviews and client meetings are advisable every six months, unless determined and agreed to on a different schedule. This depends on the complexity of the client's portfolio and the comfort zone. It is no different for older clients unless the situation warrants more frequent oversight, particularly in the event the client is showing signs of physical or mental health issues or fraud and abuse of any kind, the oversight then needs to be more rigorous. So under these circumstances, the financial planner is obliged to meet the older client more frequently and to establish a trusted communication with the client's family, doctor and power of attorney. There is no hard and fast rule on the oversight, its timing or methodology. It is contingent upon the circumstances 
and financial planners must exercise due diligence and fiduciary responsibility for the client. So this protects all clients, Jane, but in particular senior clients from potential financial abuse. Thank you for that. Um, And as we go on with our questions, I mean, there's so much to talk about here. This could be another whole other conversation, but um, just about the long-term care insurance. And can you explain how that works? Well, long-term care insurance was introduced in Canada after the U.S. introduced it in the 1980s. So it's not such a long time ago. It's not like life insurance, which is hundreds of years uh, old practice. This is this was introduced to enable Canadians to be personally in control of their financial future in the event of a debilitating health condition at any age, not just at an older age. It is not um, directed only towards older clients, but applies to any individual who is unable to perform a minimum of two daily living functions. This could be as a result of an accident or illness, like fibromyalgia or multiple sclerosis, and more frequently in older years due to dementia, Alzheimer's, and other illnesses which incapacitate the individual mentally and physically. So Canadian insurance companies started to offer a form of insurance to those wishing to provide some safeguards against anticipated spiraling costs, which we are seeing today, of home care and facility care. Long-term care is a legitimate option in providing peace of mind to those concerned about their future needs. As a complex product, long-term care insurance needs to be understood carefully. Costs of home care in an institution or at home could be prohibitive, as you mentioned. As discussed, these have to be met, so income and finances would be the major issue to contend with. Under such circumstances, a person would have access to long-term care insurance, which could be a lifelong tax-free benefit and can be used for any purpose, Jane, not just for medical purposes, for any purpose providing financial independence. So there are different options that people can look at the types of long-term care insurance, but the basic benefit is to provide funding and financial independence. This takes the burden off government, subsidized facilities, families, and community centers, and allows the person to live in comfort with dignity in their own home, if they so wish. Long-term care insurance is a very important benefit that advisors and financial planners have a responsibility to advise clients on in their healthy younger years to provide for their later years. This is very important, particularly with government benefits and funding reducing and government facilities becoming scarce, as we all know. The struggle between keeping people in hospitals or providing for long-term care facility is increasing. By the day, we see this from the long wait Canadians are facing for hospital beds and specialist appointments. Customers must be made aware of the ailing health care services in Canada today and prepare for independent funding when they might need it. So, in brief, long-term care insurance is a protection for any time in your life that you need access to cash and to supplement your income. You don't have to be in a hospital, it can be at home. 
Uh, long-term care is often confused with disability insurance, which, as we know, is uh, covered only till age 65, whereas long-term care could be a benefit for whole of life. And Kasim, now, how do you choose the right policy for an individual client? And what are the steps you take for the developing of this, if you can explain that? Every client is unique in their needs for protection and planning. There is no right or wrong policy. The most appropriate policy for an individual must be offered by the financial planner on review of the KYC and KYP, which is now strictly regulated for insurance and investments by the Financial Services Regulatory Authority, FISRA. It is a compliance requirement for a financial planner to offer alternative options and to advise the client appropriately and fully on the advantages of each in order to take an informed decision in the best interests of the person's needs and budget. Provincial health insurance plans, as we know, cover physician, hospital, and various diagnostic and treatment services, but exclude long-term care. And its delivery varies widely from province to province and community to community. Every Canadian should be prepared for personal long-term care funding to ensure their independence long-term. And and then what should people, or what do you need to consider when buying long-term care insurance? Well, consider the services and facilities first of all, that you might use and how much they will cost and what is being offered through the publicly funded programs in your area. There are some touch points, your current health and family history, indicating potential future concerns, present family support and future expectations, limits on disposable income. Will the promised benefits be adequate? Possibility of defaulting on payments and the policy integrated is the policy integrated with provincial health plans? So there are areas to consider before deciding on the kind of financial plan that you want for long-term care. As is the case with provincial health insurance plans, private supplementary health insurance essentially does not cover long-term care. It is to fill this gap that long-term care insurance plans have been established Long-term care insurance allows the insured to reduce the risk of financial hardship, afford peace of mind, and protect assets and income from the high cost of long-term care facilities and long-term care that they need. If you want to be personally paying for any care you may need, stay independent of the support of others, and have peace of mind, you need the security of long-term care insurance. And why and when should long-term care insurance be bought? And what is the drawback, if you can explain this? Well, as with any other insurance, be it house, car, or health, you may continue to pay a contribute to long-term care insurance, but not claim it in your lifetime. Long-term care plans should be sourced with additional benefits, such as COLA, which is the cost of living adjuster, Benefits can then be adjusted to inflation, which, as we have seen now, is very important due to the high inflation we are living under. So when the benefits are claimed, they would be adjusted to inflation or a return of premium, which is something a lot of people don't understand or appreciate. But if the benefits are not claimed and you have a return of premium benefit in your policy, you can get a refund of all your payments on cancellation tax-free. 
So that is a big way of saving every dollar that you have invested in the plan if you do not claim the benefits of the long-term care insurance. The best age to buy long-term care insurance is between 35 and 45. So a typical payment for life benefits is completed by age 65, before retirement. The Canadian Life and Health Insurance Association, the CLHIA, provides information on the different types and costs of LTC. And long-term care insurance should be seriously considered, Jane, instead of people dipping into their savings and retirement funds when the need arises. I see. Uh, this is another big topic. It's definitely family caregivers uh, being compensated for their time in helping a family member or taking time off work. Um, there are a number of organizations that are advocates for family caregivers. One is a family caregiver organization of Ontario. Another one is the Family Caregiver Coalition. Um, you know, family caregivers need help. They need resources. They need to know how the government is going to help them as well. So maybe you can describe a little bit about how family caregivers can be compensated. Our family members who need to take time, take leave from work to provide care and support for an adult family member, another adult family member with critical illness or injury can receive special employment insurance, EI, benefits for up to 26 weeks now instead of 15 weeks, which is a recent change. Yes, that's right. And and it's excellent that it is being provided. The Canada Caregiver Credit also provides up to $7,140 if the dependent has a net income below $23,905. In assistance related to the care of dependent relatives, parents, brothers, sisters, or adult children. And what are some of the alternatives to long-term care insurance? Typically, there are no perfect alternatives, but critical illness insurance provides a lump sum, tax-free benefit. Uh, some claim criteria apply, which are not the same as for long-term care, but it is an alternative. Or critical illness insurance or annuities plans, which have long-term care riders, provide funding in the event of a long-term care need. Deferred annuities with cash payouts, which can be used for long-term care at a later date, if needed, can supplement retirement income, such as Social Security. The most common type of LTC is personal care, activities of daily living, which include bathing, dressing, grooming, toileting, eating, and moving around. These need to be covered first. And Kasim, there's different types of advisors, as we know. There's financial planners, financial advisors. And can you explain when someone would need a financial advisor and the difference between a financial planner and a financial advisor? Um, Jane, typically when a client has a big decision to make and they are looking for advice, possibly an inheritance, uh, consideration of a large purchase, uh, changes in their business, tax planning, pension decisions, executive compensation, and real estate questions. The goal is to provide best professional advice. The most widely recognized financial planning designation in Canada and worldwide is a certified financial planner, CFP, which is considered the standard 
for the financial planning profession. The Chartered Life Underwriter, which I am, and the CFP credentials embody a thorough knowledge of financial planning, taxation, and laws governing the financial services provided in Canada. It has been recognized by FISRA, the Financial Services Regulatory Authority, that these are essential for the complete fiduciary responsibility advisors have towards their clients to enable the best advice. For financial professionals to be designated as a financial planner, it is mandatory to hold a CLU or CFP credential or both, without which the title is restricted to financial advisor, which does not include estate planning, solutions or tax mitigation strategies. Right. Well, thank you for that in-depth conversation. And we're almost at the end of our show. Can you believe it? It's, um, you certainly covered a lot of ground and explanation on, you know, buyer beware. And I guess knowing the questions to ask your financial planner, financial advisor. Um, so thank you so much, Kasim, for attending our Life and Podcast uh, today. We really appreciate your time and discussion and thought that went into this podcast. Um, and we'd like you to leave some final thoughts uh, that would be helpful for our listeners today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Jane. I would love to convey my passion for the financial services industry, of which I am proud to have been a part of for the past 30 years. As financial planners and financial advisors, we have a responsibility towards the industry and our clients as protectors of their life plans, savings, and security. Bearing this in mind, we should collectively honor and respect the challenges people face in preparing for their future health and financial freedom. Our job goes far beyond creating a plan for today. It is the ultimate trust our clients place in us on our wisdom and advice to secure their lifetime interests and income, not only for themselves, but for their families and their legacy. Ah, thank you, Kasim. It was a pleasure having you. And thank you, listeners, for taking the time to attend and listen to our podcast. For our next podcast in February 2023, our special guests will be Professor Andrew Miles and Professor Sir Jonathan Elliott Asbridge from the European Society for Person-Centered Healthcare. Their discussion will be about person-centered care, which is also a big topic. Uh, together we can do it, but it needs us all. For more information, you can review our latest article in our winter 2023 newsletter by visiting our website at www.mosaichomecare.com uh, and by downloading the newsletter. The article is on page 11. And until our next Mosaics Life in Podcast series, this is Jane Teasdale signing off. Thank you. Thank you.